Hello, friends. This is Pastor Leon Bloder here with the awesome and talented Meredith. Good morning. And this or evening is, or afternoon or whatever time you're listening to this. Yeah. It's morning for us. It was like a Truman Show moment. <laughs> good morning, good afternoon, and good, good night. Me. Right. So uh, this is Pastor Cast number 33. Ooh. Trey Trace. All right. All right. So um, today we're actually going to be diving into a uh, particularly interesting topic uh, that's connected to the sermon series that I'm about to start tomorrow. Uh, Sunday on Father's Day, and uh, and we're going to be going for four weeks on a sermon series called In the Beginning, and it's going to be taking a look at Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. And so we thought that we would take a little bit of time and uh, talk about reading Genesis critically, because uh, for a lot of folks, and I know this comes to a shock to some people, but a lot of folks get divided about the meaning of Genesis and how uh, Genesis, especially the very beginning of Genesis and, you know, the first several chapters, I guess, um, you know, when you talk about the creation story, um, the Adam and Eve and being driven out of the garden, Cain and Abel, um, the, the story of Noah. I mean, all those all those stories that were part of an oral tradition from from centuries and centuries ago. Um, in the ancient Israelite traditions, um, then, you know, this, this can get a lot, it's, it hangs some people up. Wouldn't yeah, you agree? It does. Um, and in typical faction, I think we spend a lot, spill a lot of ink and do a lot of worrying and fretting and arguing about things, um, that we shouldn't instead of just critically thinking about them and talking about them and then giving everybody space to breathe. Yeah. That's- and so that's kind of what we want to do today is we want to talk a little bit about, um, the sort of different perspectives that people have when they read Genesis. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how to read Genesis critically. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I think sometimes that <clears throat> people will decide what they believe about Genesis before they even really, um, you know, start reading it. You know, And so they don't read it critically, right. uh, I think. And I, and I think that what we want to do today is give people a little bit of, um, you know, um, resources perhaps, or maybe a perspective that would enable them to read it critically. So okay. let's dive right in. Yeah. Um, so whenever I meet somebody who is a kind of a new Christian or is trying to figure out what Christianity is all about and they start reading the Bible um, and, they, and they ask me like, well, you know, how should I read the Bible? I always tell them, start in Matthew. Mm-hmm. That's smart. Um, do not start in Genesis, right? Start in Matthew, read all the way through to um, to you get to revelation stop don't read revelation don't read revelation then go and read the psalms yeah <laughs> and the proverbs right. and some of those other wisdom books right and then you know at that point i think i would go back and read genesis matthew again yeah read matthew again <laughs> Yeah, that's it. I'm joking. Yeah. We love the Old Testament. I'm joking. And the reason why I the say Hebrew that, scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, more yes. properly say not, not the, the Old, Old Testament, Testament, the Hebrew the, scriptures. Yes, yeah. yeah. But it, it's um, the reason. And I actually think that's an important distinction, which we could have a whole nother podcast about. Well, let's so let's let's, let's, let's get have in that the podcast. habit today of talking about them, referring to the Old Testament as what they should be called, which is the Hebrew scriptures. It oh, is. They are the Hebrew scriptures. So the reason why I do that is and tell people to to do that is not because I don't love the Old Testament. I do. Oh. Uh, ah, Hebrew scriptures. It's not because I don't <laughs> love the Hebrew scriptures. Um, I do. Right. Um, in fact, um, they're glorious. Yeah, they are. They're amazing. And but the reason why is because I don't want them to get 
lost in the weeds right. and it's it's a it's easy to get lost in the weeds before you get your perspective on what Jesus was all about and so forth and kind of figuring that out mm-hmm. and kind of thinking through who Jesus is to you then going back and sort of reading through some of the other texts, um, mm-hmm. then perhaps you've developed a lens that you can see a little bit of Jesus in the Hebrew scriptures, right. which was important to the apostles and to uh, you know Paul himself, uh, sort of reading back into the Hebrew scriptures and and forward, seeing Christ in it. So that, well, and that's why I, I think do that. it's still so important <clears throat> to us today, right? I mean, that's one Absolutely. of the, be- the beauties of the trip that we do to Israel. Um, is it helps people really connect Jesus to the Hebrew scriptures. But, Absolutely. But anyway, so it's important for all of us, not just the, the Paul and such. So um, the, so let's just take, for example, since we're kind of focused this week on and the next few weeks on creation, so the whole creation narrative. So, you know, the, the what a lot of people don't realize is there's actually two creation narratives that are at play. So you've got Genesis 1 and then Genesis 2. Right. Um, and... Um, they you know, both not, tell a little bit of a different story from a different perspective. They do. With a different purpose. They do. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them is clearly more poetic than the other. Right. Um, and so the Genesis 1 is much more poetry um, in the way that it's written. And when I say poetry, I mean that it's it's the language and the, the rhythms of it are, are written in a way... Um, probably that are more reflective of the ancient oral traditions. So it's easier to remember a song, right? Like, I mean, right. the other day I'm riding down the road and some song that was on during the 80s, I think mm-hmm. it was, I don't even remember, it was Duran Duran. Yeah. You know, please, please tell me now that and song. And you remembered the words. I remembered the stupid right. words to that song. And it's like the most obscure Duran Duran song ever. Um, so it embeds in your memory. And I think that's an easy way for people to remember oral tradition. And well, so and that's think, why that's so poetic. And maybe chapter two isn't quite as poetic. Not as it's quite. a little, it's more it's a little a later. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you, interestingly, if you read, if you take the Psalms and read them beside Genesis 1, you can see that kind of parallel poetry playing out and you can can see it um, in the way things are repeated, the, the, you know, stanzas and framing and all of that. So anyway, I I encourage people to do that because it's a beautiful exercise to help you appreciate the Hebrew scripture. So yes, Hebrews one, I mean, uh, Genesis one, definitely more poetic than Genesis two. And so you've got these, these, uh, these two narratives that kind of complement each other and sort of help uh, under, you know, help build upon this Mm -hmm. idea of a creating God, mm-hmm. um, a God who speaks creation into existence. And then there's a rhythm to the creation. There's, you know, there's seven days, um, the seventh day being a day of rest. Right. Um, and you and know, Genesis all of the... 2 gives you an idea, I think a better idea of um, maybe a hands-on God. I mean, both of them, you know, yes. it's definitely portraying God as not standing back um, uninvolved in creation, but right there up to his elbows, so to speak. Yeah, Absolutely. I think I think that's that's a huge distinction yeah. uh, between the competing uh, creation narratives that were part of other um, cultures right. at the same other time. Other traditions from other yeah. religions. Yeah. So you know there were other uh, creation narratives from the other tribes and so forth that surrounded the people of Israel, and so you know this is a different kind of narrative that's completely sort of you know I mean it, it transforms the idea of of the divine. Right. This is not a God up, up away. This is a God involved and, um, loving and, uh, right with us. Okay. So let's put a pen in that because that's super important for us when we start talking about, uh, the critical, the critical readings. So 
why don't we take the there's bit there's there's probably a lot of different perspectives on how to read Genesis, but let's sort of take the main ones and um so what's so the first one obviously is the is the literal reading, right? So um we have there are many people that um I encounter and they resist uh Christianity because they have been told that to be a Christian you have to believe in a literal reading of Genesis. That is that the world was created in six twenty four hour days as we understand days to be. Right. Um, and there are people that will actually go no further in their examination of Christian belief and Christianity because they have been told that all Christians believe in a literal reading of, um, of the book of Genesis. Then there are those that read Genesis um, more uh, as a figurative idea. That is that to understand about the nature of God and nature of God's relationship to people and God's relationship to creation. And what's interesting to me is that many people on the figurative side, I use that word loosely, the side of those that believe that Genesis 1 is and 2 are understanding about our relationship of God to us and to the world, they will then sling arrows at the literal readers and say the literal readers are not real Christians, they're ignorant, they're backward, they don't know science, slinging these arrows of hatred and yuckiness. And then on the literal side, there will be those who say, if you don't believe that the Bible is literally true and every word that is included, then you can't really be a Christian. You can't have really faith, real faith. And so you see people spending um, like, like literally careers arguing about the, the um, scientific support for the new earth versus the scientific young earth versus the scientific support for the old earth. And all these people get bogged down in all of these details to which I say, um, there are some things that it is imp- that, that are worth fighting over. Right. And I'm not sure that this is one of those things. I think it's something we should wrestle with. I think it's something we should understand. I think we need to find the common out, the true parts that are not necessarily, maybe aren't truth, whatever that is, and talk about it. And But I don't think this is something that should divide Christians. So that's why I'm excited that we're having this discussion. Okay, and so just to go back a little bit and kind of, because <clears throat> you know what Meredith was, was presenting was a, a very great... Um, you know, um, description of, of kind of the, what's going on and the, and the, the struggle that exists between people who look at this from different perspectives. Um, I mean, you could splinter, you know, in a, right. in a hundred different ways. Um, <clears throat> but when we talk about literal, what we mean is, you know, they read what people who believe in, in that it literally is true. Mm-hmm. Um, they read it and believe, like you said, that, that God created in, in six days, literal 24 hour days. Mm-hmm and rested for the seventh and that this happened roughly 6,000 years ago. And so they believe that this, there's a young earth, right? Mm-hmm. So, the, uh, and the reason where, how they come up with the 6,000 years is by tracing back the generations that they find within Genesis when they start kind of going from Adam and then all the way forward. Yeah. The lineages, they right, count the lineages, up the, right. what they assume to be the average age of the Absolutely. people referenced and then kind of come up with that number. Absolutely. And sometimes some people have it as early as 4,500 years and some as late as 6,000. They do. And they've got all kinds of arguments and all kinds of, um, you know, of, uh, ways that they, they have proven, mm-hmm. um, so to speak, uh, their point of view. And let's be very clear. These people uh, among these people are extremely educated, right? 
um, uh, faithful Christians. Yes. Who I love dearly. And so then there's also another perspective that I think has emerged, um, which is people who still believe the, they, they're, they want to literally interpret the scripture, but what they've done is they've decided, you know, there's other passages of scripture that say, well, you know, a year is like a thousand years to God, you know, that kind of idea. Right. Um, or a day is like a thousand years. And, right. <clears throat> and so they... What they've done is they've decided, okay, well, the day doesn't really mean day in the way that we understand day. Um, it's a day in the way that God would understand a day and God who is, you know, beyond all time. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, you know, creation could have taken millions of years, but it was God that initiated God that's doing all this, blah, blah, blah. And then they get to the point where there are literal people like mm-hmm. Adam and Eve. There mm-hmm. is an Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. um, even though there was probably all the stuff that came before them, dinosaurs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, people, right? Mm-hmm. So then God interacts with these people, Adam and Eve. And mm-hmm. so that's one way of doing it. And then the other way, of course, was to believe that it's figurative, that, you know, this was a way that people were trying to figure out how to, to, to um, attach some meaning mm-hmm. uh, to creation and to have a counter narrative to all the people that were around them. So it's almost like, you know, you have to have a story of where you came from mm-hmm. that is unique to your people and your God. Right. And the people in that camp, they would say that um, ancient man could not understand what we now understand about science. So God could not have told them a story um, that was a true story about how the world um, was created because that would have literally been beyond their comprehension. I mean, yeah. Um, how could a how could a, right. an ancient person understand quantum physics and understand biology and in the, right. in the way that we understand it now because of our? I mean, they they were they understood it as well as they could. Right. Um, right. So those and again in those camp those people in that camp include people who are devout Christians who are educated who are um, faithful witnesses to Christ and struggle. Um, in their and constantly struggling to stumble after Jesus, so I, I want that to undergird these conversations today. That um, which, however, people fall in these groupings and readings and understandings of, of Genesis, um, included in all three groups or all two groups, I guess, would be people who are faithful, faithful witnesses to Christ in, in their life, and we cannot lose sight of that. And the reason it's so important to come back to that over and over and over again is because when the world stands out and sees us, we Christians, arguing about stuff like this, um, it, and, the, and the virulence and the anger that you can see in social media and readings, and, and just when they see that, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. And they say, I don't want to have anything to do with those crazy people who fight with each other all the time. And I don't right. want our listeners to vilify either camp. Yeah, I think uh, people are where they are for whatever the reason. And, um, you know, of course, you know, I have my own ideas. I've got my own thoughts on the on the topic. Um, but most of what I end up doing, and I think you and I both do this, because we interact with people who are in all of these different sort of spaces. Thankfully, we get the opportunity to interact we do. with all of them. Because we have I mean, all of those people in our, in our church and, absolutely. In our, and in our Christian friend groups. Yeah, so, you know, when you become so isolated that the only people that you talk to are people that agree with you, then That's you're in trouble. That's a horrible place to be, I know. Yeah, you're in trouble, you know, because then you don't have, there's no way that you, your, your understandings and your beliefs and your ideas can be uh, shaped. Um, they, just, they just become inert, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and so we don't want that. Um, we, we don't, you know, part of what it means to be in community means that, you know, you're not um, 
conformed right. to everybody else. You Unity know, the only is thing, not conformity, right? Absolutely. And the only thing that we need to be conformed by is the and, and renew our minds, as the Apostle Paul talked about, is through Christ, you know, and let Jesus sort of... Let Jesus sort of help us figure all this out, which I know sounds like a cop out, but here's but it's a, here's not a, a cop out, right? Because well, this is not one of those areas. I I don't believe this is not part of the our faith that requires uh, lockstep. I mean, there are certain things about which we cannot disagree if we call ourselves Christians. This is not one of those things. Yes, and and so here's so here's an interesting sort of aside. Um, Saint Augustine, who was writing very early. Um, about these matters, <clears throat> really struggled with it, with Genesis. Mm. Um, he, in fact, said um, quite famously, which I, I think uh, gets swept aside depending on where you land in these arguments, because yeah. um, lots of people want to hold on to what Augustine said on, on some, some things, areas, and then right. they don't want to hold on to when it, when what he said about Genesis. You know, he he saw it as a travesty that um, people from the outside would assume um, that Genesis was, you know, sort of uh, being used by Christians as a scientific explanation. Right. You know, he, in his mind, that was missing the point. Right. That was an exercise in missing the point. And so it's almost like a prophetic all the way back into the very early days, the early centuries of Christianity. You have this guy who was so influential with his writings, um, you know, and shaping really uh, Christianity today, um, particularly evangelical Christianity, and is is owes its uh, owes a debt to Augustine and his writings. So here's this guy saying, "Hey guys, um, we've got to be careful in the way that we use this as a blueprint for how the universe was created. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that this is deeper than that. So so I think the way forward for all of us." Uh, is when we're reading critically, is to figure out, okay, well, what are the things that we know about this story? What are the things that we know about these, 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 um, these narrations or these narratives that came from oral traditions that were then written down, you know, presumably a lot of them in Babylon when um, the Jewish scholars were struggling uh, to figure out a new identity when the temple is no longer there. Although and, some Christians believe, of course, that Genesis was written by Moses. They do. Yeah. And I think, well, and I mean, the writings and I don't want to, I don't want to. Uh, no, 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 no. And I'm not saying because they're, yeah, the writings existed and the traditions existed and were there. And so they were just kind of compiling them. I guess the better way would be compiling. Um, yeah. So you're right. I think what we need to focus on is, are what are the truths in these, yes. in, in Genesis that we can all agree on? Because I think what Augustine would say is it's really the truth, the truth to be found is not whether there were seven 24-hour days or six 24-hour days of creation. That's not the truth. The truth to be found is God's relationship to us. Yes. His, God's creativity, his um, involvement in our creation of our universe and what that means about his relationship to us and to the world at large. That's the truth that we can all agree on. Okay. And the larger truth, no matter whether you're young earth or old earth. That's the bigger point. So the bigger, so the way, what we're talking about here, I think in a lot of ways, so there's, so you would, you know, you've taught this before when you've taught classes that there are levels of reading. Yeah. Okay. And so there's the sort of surface uh, level of literal translation. And so a lot of people sort of stay in that mode. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so then what they'll do is um, they'll they'll read it literally, and then there's sort of a rhetorical leap that has to be made when you're reading literally to then be able to apply it uh, to you know your life. You've got to make some sort of jump, and there's a process within which you make that jump. That I think there's this, there's a seed in there that is what you hold, what we're going to be holding on to in a second. Mm-hmm. The same thing happens in figurative. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing a figurative reading, you're jumping over a whole bunch of literal stuff right. in order to get to something that you can hold on to. And the same thing with the other, you know, all the other ways of sort of seeing it. Right. And that thing, that seed, that way of reading is to read it in a, from a spiritual uh, standpoint. So when we when we do a spiritual reading of the scriptures. Um, that's that's where we we really start to find the connections that are easier for us to to hold on to. It doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge the context, um, and we should acknowledge the context, and we should acknowledge the historiosity of what we're reading and you know where it came from and how we got the manuscripts. I think those are things. Sometimes in my past, um, when I grew up in cult in a in a Christian culture, that valued the literal reading. Um, not just valued, but that was that was the, the only only way of reading it. Um, it it was um, there was a struggle that took place um, because if you were bringing in outside sources, if you were bringing in you know language and st- the structural sort of uh, criticism and form criticism and literary criticism and historical criticism and all the other things that we have at our at our you know as as uh, interpreters. Mm-hmm. Those things were like anathema. I mean, you couldn't bring that into it. Right. The only thing that, you know, is sort of like the old reformers would say, the only thing that can interpret scripture is other scripture. Well, yeah, that's and there's difficult. actually a yeah. method of uh, Bible study that, that requires that. And that's Calvin. I mean, that's, that's Calvin and the reformers, you know, because they, they were pushing against church tradition as a way to interpret scripture. So I want to give, um, this is the example that I always give of this, and I think it's, perfect because it's right out of of Genesis 1 in the first verse and it says um, in the beginning God created the heavens and earth now the earth was formless and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters Eugene Peterson's version God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss okay so here's the clearest example for those of you trying to struggle with literal versus figurative and where you find the truth between the two so there are some people that believe that literally there was a watery abyss, that literally there was nothing in in existence except some kind of dark water, and that literally the Spirit of God sat upon it, okay? There are others that believe that this is just a beautiful figurative um, explanation of of the Spirit of God. But here's the truth no matter what. Whether, Whether it was really water with the Spirit of God hovering on top, or whether this is just a beautiful uh, picture for us, the truth is it demonstrates God's love, God's involvement, this idea of, of brooding over the water that shows love, that shows protection. It, it calls ahead then to Jesus in Jerusalem saying, oh, how I long to gather you under my wing. Uh, and then, of course, the other places we have imagery of God like a mother hen. So here's the thing. We can sit and argue and fight about whether it was literally true that there was water and God was hovering above or whether it's only an allegory or whatever. But the true part is it demonstrates God's love, God's connection, God's um, desiring to bring us together 
under God's wings and the beauty and the spirit of that. So that's the truth that we can all get behind. Right. So that's what we mean when we say, you know, there's truth no matter which version is true. There is a universal truth upon which we can all agree. So the, it's a it's a way to read it spiritually and to hold on to the what is true about the, and and this is something that I you know I really because years ago I mean I I you know I struggled with this kind of stuff I mean you know when I'm t- I'm talking years and years ago, yeah. um, because these are the questions that I had when I was growing up right and like you were told how, if you didn't really believe it to be literally true you couldn't possibly be Christian how could I you know right. yes you had to accept it you had to just believe it you know right. you had to not ask questions there right. were you know this really happened this is the way it happened this is you know I mean and the, all these things sort of t- came to pass in this particular way but then when you start digging into um you know all the other competing narratives that were going on at the time in mesopotamia mm-hmm. um and you know so this is what happened when i went to college and i started reading you know all the um you know all of these the epic of gilgamesh and other narratives from mesopotamia that uh you know were talking about creation so then you start going what the heck you know this is just one of many um, but see, here's the thing. When you start really reading like what Meredith just did and what she was talking about, this, this God that has mm-hmm. this sort of intimate connection with creation and calls it good and who fashions human beings out of, uh, out of love. And in the great words of James Weldon Johnson, who I'm going to be quoting tomorrow in my sermon, um, it, he, at the very beginning of his sermon that he wrote a called creation um, and it's like a, it's poetry almost in the great African-American tradition. He said, God, you know, he says, God says, I'm lonely, mm, you know, and, yeah, awesome. and, uh, but I mean, you know, God wasn't lonely no, because God can't God, be lonely. Well, God is in constant, uh, <laughs> relationship, you know, when, because we believe in the Trinity and exactly. that whole idea, but, but still that whole thing of like. There's a difference between this God and the God of these other competing narratives from other tribes. Who just wanted to control. A God who was above all and, you know, despotic and, you know, really resembled what, you know, earthly kings sometimes look like. Mm -hmm. You know, just creating, creating out of, um, you know, like there's a conflict and the, you know, there was battles and stuff and then things got created or human beings were play toys or, you know, just there at the, for the whim of the gods. And this is a different God. Right. This is a beautiful God who, who loves us and wants to be involved in us. And as the all the scriptures show us, the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament, you know, he's wants us under, God wants us under God's wing. I don't know. You know, at some point, all this is academically interesting, but I get to a place pretty quickly where I'm like, does it really matter? You know, it, uh, and yeah, I'm not being flipped. I, I do. I, I get it. So does it really matter? Well, to nerdy people like me, it matters a whole no, lot. No, no. I but, mean, does it <clears throat> does it really matter who's right? Yes. What matters is is the spiritual truth, right? Does it really matter? Because you know what, I might be wrong. I'm willing to say that I might be wrong about how I think the world was created, right? Yeah. Um, what I know I'm not wrong about is the spiritual part. Right. So does it really matter? Do we need to, can't we all just, in the words of Rodney King, can't we all just get along? Can't those of us who believe in a literal reading and those of us who believe it's just this beautiful poem that can't we all just get along about the fact, the spiritual truth that's shown and then move forward from there? Isn't that the only thing that matters? Yes, <laughs> but okay. So here's, here's where that, where that all falls apart. 
Because if you believe, okay, that um, the the Bible is needs to be read literally, okay, if you're if that's your belief, um, then any um, sort of <clears throat> compromise on that issue compromises the whole thing. But does it have to? That I'm saying. I'm, can, no, I'm saying that it doesn't convince, have to. Can we but, convince those of us who believe in a literal reading that it's okay to believe in a literal reading, but that you need to leave some room for those Christians who don't believe in a literal reading but are in agreement with you on the spiritual truth? It would be nice if that was the well, case. Well, I think we can encourage our people <laughs> to get there because I know that there are people in our congregation who I love deep, deeply who believe in a literal reading. I know that there are people in our congregation who I love deeply who do not. Right. And But I think what we can all do as Christians is try to get behind the things we can agree on and focus on those because that's where the deepest learning from this Hebrew scripture is. Well, it's not meant to be, you know, a, 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 a biology textbook. It's meant okay. to be a spiritual so, guide. So you're, you're touching on a very, very important thing that's, that's kind of going on right now. Um, it's, we're seeing the last vestiges of, of the Enlightenment sort of way of thinking where you have to be able to argue. There has to be a system that is in place where you argue <laughs> to the point, right? And so this is where Christian apologetics right. has become such so a important. weapon for a lot of people um, where they've been taught how to argue people into faith. Um, or, you know or to argue and defend their faith against other people who are attacking their faith, um, or you know any number of reasons why they're doing what they're doing. But what they're what what's being set up is um, we're we're focusing on the wrong, wrong stuff, Amen. right? Amen. So going back to what Saint Augustine said, he 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 foresaw this. Mm-hmm. He was like, you cannot get lost in the weeds mm-hmm. on using this as a blueprint for the origins of the universe. And in fact, speaking of origin, um, there was another Christian uh, writer, an early Christian writer named Origen, mm-hmm. um, with an E O R I G E N. For those of you listening, uh, playing along at the when the at the ga- the at the Google, I yeah, 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 at the Google. So if you're if you're playing the home version of this game, <laughs> so um, the Origen said essentially the same things. So there were other writers and other thinkers in, in those early days of Christianity that were a lot more open, I guess, in their understanding. And when you think about what the Hebrew scholars and the Hebrew writers and thinkers and even the Hebrew people themselves, they were pretty loose with this yeah. idea too. They weren't holding on to this as some sort of like, okay, this is an, uh, the how-to manual on how to create the universe. Right. I mean, um, you know, they were holding it a lot more loosely as well. And we're focusing much more on the covenant and the relationship and the that they have with truth. God. Right. right. So I think that it would be wonderful if we could all do that. I think that's the goal that we need to have and to have mutual forbearance for one another. Amen. And so calling for that, I think, is, is, is something that we must do. And continually um, do. And the problem is, um, at either camp, if you're reading the Hebrew scriptures and you're missing the spiritual truth, you're wasting your time. If exactly. you're looking at it as a way to try to scientifically prove your belief and you want to memorize verses to use in your apologetics argument, you are missing the point. If you won't read it because you think, oh, it's it's worthless and it has to be read literally and it can't possibly be true, so I'm not going to read it, 
you're missing the whole point. Well, and I think part of the reason why people have been are using it that way and they want to they want to try to to connect the scientific dots is because of what you talked about earlier about so many people who they come up against it and say I'm not going to believe. Mm-hmm. And so I think it comes out of a very, you know, there's good motives and there's bad motives. The bad motives is somebody who's like I'm going to prove these people wrong. Right. The good motive is I want to try to win people over. I want them to understand I want to be able to defend it. Right. And so they can see that this is and I think that being able to concede, okay, we've got a lot of different opinions about this, but this is what it really says about the God that I believe in. Right. The, and that's the, where I've been able to disarm the most people, not by trying to point out arguments and anything else. But when I say to people, yeah, so, you know, you don't really have to believe that the world was created in six days to be a Christian. And they're kind of like, what? Yeah, and then I said, here's the spiritual truth about that story. And that is a compelling argument. Yeah, Way even, more compelling than arguing back and forth about what could possibly be right scientifically. Well, even the old, like when you go all the way back into the fundamentalist days of the early, you know, the, in the, the, the 1920s when they started, you know, forming the, you know, fundamentalist movement. Um, you know, fundamentalism was based on these five fundamentals. And one of them was that the Bible was authoritative, you know. Um, it didn't, it didn't say specifically that you had to believe, you know, to interpret it a particular way. It was just authoritative. And so in our tradition, the PCUSA tradition, and we talk about the Bible being authoritative, um, those same kind of languages, all that language that's being used about the Bible being authoritative um, is something that's common to most denominations, most Christian beliefs. What do you mean by authoritative? Right. So then they interpret it. But I mean, I think, so that's the thing that we can agree on and say, okay, this is, this is an authority for us. I mean, we can go in here and we can, we can discuss and wrestle and struggle. Um, you know, and it's like that, that, but you, you sometimes, you know, you, you just have to struggle with it. It's like that old, um, that, that, uh, that sort of parable that Peter Rollins told about, um, the, the two rabbis that fought their entire life, they struggled their entire life over a passage of scripture. I mean, they debated and debated. I mean, they grew old, you know, debating this passage of scripture. And finally, God grows tired of listening to them. And so comes down and appears to them and reveals God's self to these two rabbis and says, you know, enough already, you two idiots. I'm going to tell you what it's about. And they go, how dare you? <laughs> you know, this is, you know, you, you can't possibly tell us. We, you know, the, it's in the struggle, right? right, right. Um, so I think that's, that's kind of, you know, well, I mean, Israel means God wrestlers. Um, God, God loves it when we contend, when we struggle with the text, when we try to, because it draws us closer into an understanding of who God is and who we are to God. Well, I, I guess I want to close by saying to those, those who, who read the Bible and think it's nothing more than a bunch of nice old poems, I say to you that you are missing the point. You are. And to those of you who read the Bible and say that it has to be read as absolutely, literally true and that that's the most important thing, I say that you are missing the point. Yes. The point is the spiritual truth. That's what we need to be focused on and looking for. It's a way that we can all come together. It's like if, if this was a Venn diagram, that's, yeah. that's the middle part of the Venn diagram. And so, you know, we can both, you can hold on to what you think, what you think to be true. Right. Because really, until God comes down and, and reveals, reveals God's, God's self, self and says, fine, I'm, I'm tired of you arguing, right? I'm going to tell you what it's about. I'm, I guarantee you that uh, everybody's going to be. We would, he would, God would, would say, here's what it's about. And then go back to where God is. Right. And then we'd be like. Everyone would disagree about what they heard. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. All right. Good hey, stuff. Good talk. Pull out your Genesis. Read it. Yes. That, Love you, it. You have, you, have our, you have my permission. Search for to the read spiritual. Genesis. Search for the spiritual truth. 
Absolutely. Ask God to reveal the spiritual truth. For yeah, you. and be looking for the God who um, engages and has covenants and who mm. uh, who regrets things mm. and repents of stuff mm. and 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 is, what does that mean? Is swayed by people's opinions and, and ideas. You know, I mean, those are things that you see happening in the text. This is a God who's in intimate relationship and covenant and conversation. I mean, all the rest of it. So, yeah. I mean, it's a different kind of God than what you would read. Um, and you know other the, creation the other creation narratives of the of the contemporary time that we're talking about. So yeah, all right, good stuff. Good stuff. All right, bye uh, guys. Have See a you great next time. week. <laughs>